that you would impress upon our hearts the truths that you know that we need to, to put into practice in our lives. And we pray that you would help us in that. So we're looking to you, depending upon you, as our teacher this morning, in Jesus' name, amen. Now, in uh, the beginning of this chapter, apostasy is revealed, and uh, the Spirit warns of a departure by some from the faith. Now, the, the faith here is uh, the total content of the truth of Christian belief, what Christians believe. It's not speaking here of the act of believing or uh, the faith by which we receive salvation. But uh, this uh, departure we sometimes call apostasy. In some, script, in some of your versions, it may say apostasy. Uh, it is a departure from the truth that uh, Paul had been conveying uh, for years and was all, uh, in, in these uh, chapters of 1 Timothy was condensing for Timothy. And in uh, chapter 3, it speaks of the fact that the church of the living God is the pillar and ground of truth. The church supports and displays the truth. It's responsible to both preserve and to proclaim truth. So a departure or an apostasy should not surprise us. Why? Paul asserts that the Spirit of God expressly tells it. It's clear, not vague. There's no doubt about it. But the emphasis here is not upon the occasion of, um, of apostasy or uh, when it says in latter times, uh, it is not, it's, uh, that, that expression is intended to be, uh, it's not intended to be a specific time, but it's intended to just bring our attention to the apostasy. And Paul then focuses on the cause of the apostasy. And in doing so, he returns, returns to the themes that he's brought up already, that false teachers would come and their false doctrines, and people would literally from the truth and from the Savior. The origin of these false teachings, these false doctrines, is uh, from teachers who are influenced by deceiving spirits and demonic teachings. False teachers are themselves deceived, and then being deceived, they deceive others and lead others astray. Deceivers are usually deceived, and that is true. Um, that is true uh, many times, especially those who would deceive regarding the, the scriptures. In verse 2, it speaks of the false teachers speaking lies, uh, and they do so uh, possibly not even realizing that they do it. They, they do it in hypocrisy. Um, and often hypocrisy is not recognized by the person who is displaying it. They preaching one thing and practicing another. People actually think that they're following the, their own preaching in their practice, um, but they don't. Um, 
They have a seared conscience, says the scripture here. A seared um, conscience, then uh, the picture is of a, uh, a scar that is left by a red hot iron uh, branding uh, kind of a picture. And this cauterized conscience then is uh, unresponsive and inactive. Uh, there's no longer any moral judgment possible with those teachers because uh, they can't distinguish truthfully they, they can't distinguish truth from falsehood and so they they continue to teach falsehood now some examples of the falsehood are given in uh, verse three of a couple of examples uh, are forbidding in ma forbidding marriage and then uh, teaching to abstain from uh, certain foods um, now, he has revealed, the, Paul has revealed that there is apostasy there, and now he's going to show how apostasy is repudiated. And he's giving a couple of examples of, of uh, apostasy in forbidding marriage and abstaining from foods. Well, first of all, he doesn't even bother with... Uh, with forbidding in marriage. He just gives it as an example. And it's uh, so obviously wrong that the apostle doesn't even use up any ink in refuting it. You'll notice he doesn't say another thing about it. Because God ordained marriage, and I think everybody knows God ordained marriage, and uh, how can men prohibit it? Um, but then, going on to abstaining from certain foods, uh, dias, the dietary restrictions um, of the Old Testament were abolished by the Lord himself, and we can read that in Mark chapter 7. But uh, many times the prohibitions of, um, of false teachers are, are associated with other false beliefs. They're not that's not the only false teaching that they have. And many times those false teachings address external issues. They don't address the heart. And, uh, and they clearly do not line up with the teachings of Christ, the teachings of the New Testament. Now, notice that there's a link here in uh, verse 3 between uh, the um, knowing and believing. And those who uh, believe are also those who know the truth. And there is a link, a link there in, uh, in knowing the truth and believing the truth. If you, and if you believe, and believing is knowing, and believing is seeing the truth. And we shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free, says John 8. You know, it's a scary thought um, when you think about the prohibitions um, that the false teachers put out, that many times the church in general is um, sort of known for the things that it is against. <laughs> and we, and, and it's, a, it's a sad thing. And I think that we bear the burden uh, that many false teachers might put out into the public. And they would think that maybe we agree with them, uh, with some of these prohibitions. Um, but at any rate, 
So the way that Paul shows that uh, these apostasies are refuted, he goes on in the next couple of verses and saying that the foods were created uh, by God and every creature of God is good, pointing back to creation and the fact that when the six days of creation were done, the Lord proclaimed that everything was very good. And these things are to be received with thanksgiving and acknowledged as a gift from God, his provision for sustaining our life. Now, uh, so the method that Paul uses that we want to be sure to see here is the fact that the Lord, that the Lord wants us to use his word to refute error. We cannot do it by intellectual arguments, and we cannot do it um, any other way than by the use of the word of God, showing the truth that is in the word. And this is, this is the remedy for uh, false teaching, and the remedy for apostasy or, or departing from the truth is to teach the truth and uh, emphasize the truth again and again. Um, so food is food is frequently addressed in the scriptures, and it's easy enough to find scriptures that show that we can eat uh, these things. And I won't go through a lot of those, but if anybody has any, if anybody would like a, a half a dozen verses or so uh, about that, I can give those to you. But the uh, it says here in verse um, five that uh, food, whatever food we have, is sanctified by the word. That is, by the word of God. God has uh, said in His word that every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. I have given you all things. That's God speaking. I have given you all things even as the green herbs uh, were given for food. And uh, that's one example that there, there are more. You can go to this, when you have a false doctrine, it's something that is false that you're trying to refute. You go to the word, you find scripture, and uh, you refute it with the truth of the word of God. Food is, um, food is sanctified then by the word of God, and by prayer, and uh, that is the giving of thanks. Uh, you receive the gift from, of food from God, and you give thanks for it. Now, um, I just want to uh, skip a, ahead just a little bit to verse 7, but because Paul says there that we, um, we need to reject profane and old wives' fables. I just want to sort of put this together so we don't have to come back to it too much. But we have to refuse and turn away from and avoid worldly, secular uh, ideas and uh, old wives' fables. Old wives' fables evidently was a uh, common expression in Greek literature and, uh, and in their culture, speaking of the myths and superstitions teachings that are based on really absurd and superstitious ideas. But that's the kind of thing that was being taught by false teachers and is refuted by the word of God, by the truth, the word of God. Now in verse 6, it speaks of um, 
Paul speaks directly to Timothy and says, uh, if you, Timothy, instruct the brethren in these things, you'll be a good minister of Jesus Christ. Well, ministers are servants. The good servant of Jesus Christ, Paul charges Timothy with many tasks and uh, heavy responsibilities as we look through 1 Timothy. But, uh, and the primary encouragement for Timothy at that, as he, give, as he lo- seems to load him with lots of responsibilities, is the fact that he is doing these things in service of Jesus Christ. And a servant cannot lose sight of his master. He has to serve in loving devotion. And uh, we'll, probably, we'll come back to that if we have time, but uh, when when. Paul says here to instruct the brethren. This servant, uh, he is a servant of the brethren. He's instructing the brethren. And the teacher is not in a superior category. He is among the brothers and sisters. There's no clergy, laity distinction, no ecclesiastical hierarchy. Timothy was to teach the brethren and to teach them the truth, and the truth was the remedy for false teaching. Careful instruction of the truth, and the verb tense here gives the idea that that's a continuous review, uh, a continuous action, review and reminder of the truths. And in fact, Paul repeats again a couple of times that uh, in verse 11, that these things command and teach, impress the tr- these truths upon people, teach these things. And in, uh, in verse 13 as well, till I come, give attention to reading and exhortation and doctrine. And the Word of God is a textbook here. The Word of God um, not only is conveys information to us, but it's a living and powerful thing, and it's the motivator to um, to the reader or the hearer. Good, the good servant. So good servants are growing servants. Um, in verse six here, it talks about the fact that Timothy was to be a good servant, nourished in the words of faith and of the good doctrine. He was to be nourished, and, uh, and uh, preparation for, te- for teaching is necessary, and, and that preparation uh, actually nourishes the one. I've, I'm the one who's getting the most out of this message today, because I've spent how many hours? I don't. I've spent a, a lot of hours <laughs> in the study of this, and I and I'll get the most out of it. And uh, this is as well what Paul is saying to to Timothy. He's going to be nourished by the Word of God. He needs to, of course, be teaching or feeding others. But in in doing his studies and in preparing, he, he gets nourished himself, and he should be growing. A teacher should not be stagnant, just as the believers should should not be stagnant in their faith. Um, but uh, verse fifteen 
says that we, if uh, to be diligent in these things in the teaching, give uh, Paul is saying to Timothy to give yourself entirely to them that your progress may be evident to all. Your progress is your growth, and he's told to be to be careful in uh, in uh, and alert to the threat of apostasy and careful in his own spiritual health and growth. So good servants are uh, growing servants. Good servants are also uh, models um, because it says in verse six there, and uh, the doctrine which you have carefully followed, display the truth the truth of God in their lives and give uh, an example for other people to follow. Um, good doctrine uh, or the truth that Timothy was studying pointed him to a practical pattern of behavior, focusing on the word of God helped to shape his character and his behavior. And he actually practiced what he preached. Okay, this is in contrast to the apostates that had been mentioned earlier. We look back at verse 2. They were speaking lies in hypocrisy. They were not teaching the truth. Timothy was teaching the truth, not lies. And um, Timothy was consistently an example of the truth in his life. He was modeling truth. He was not a hypocrite. So, and he's also uh, told in verse 12, uh, let no one despise your youth, but be an, an example to the believers. And then he gave, there are a number of ways in which uh, he was to be an example in the word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, in purity, without going into all of those. It's just want to point out that he was to be an example to them. In the context here, or in this verse, it speaks of him being an example, even though others might think him too young to be in service, too young to be an How can this young man be an example to the whole flock? Uh, but young men, you can be. <laughs> and, uh, and if you're going to be uh, growing, and modeling the things, uh, then you're going to be uh, in league with Timothy, um, the one who was here responding with exemplary, exemplary behavior, even though he was looked down upon by others as being too young, not really ready for this. But his, but his uh, good behavior, his example, silenced any of their criticism. Um, now, there are just a few questions here that are application questions. Um, this brings up uh, this question, how closely do we live by the truths that we say we believe? Do we make excuses or do we delay doing what we know we should? Are we blind 
in our hypocrisy, blind to things in our own lives. So I'm looking at the people in this room and, I'm, and the people on Zoom can, can see me. And I'm saying, please, if I'm a hypocrite in some way, tell me. It's not obvious to me. But if you see it, I need to know about it. I don't want to be somebody who stands up here in the pulpit and preaches one thing and everybody, everybody in the audience is saying, oh yeah, he's the one who's doing this or that when he's standing up there and preaching. So tell me if that's true. So we are to exercise ourselves toward godliness. And the, the idea of exercise here is the idea of training. And uh, it's exercise in godliness is compared here with uh, bodily exercise or physical exercise that profits a little. And um, the word, actually, the word in the Greek is a word that will emphasize in English, if I say it, that word for exercise. And uh, it's gymnasia, which sounds pretty close to gymnasium. Or Grace, if Grace isn't there, is she? But David, you can go home and tell um, Grace. Or gymnast, we get our word for gymnast from this very word. Uh, somebody who goes to the gym <laughs> and um, exercises and practice and practice practice again and again and again so that they can get it right so that they can perform um, and uh, with the goal of of course performing at a higher level and uh, eventually winning a prize for performance in those areas. So the picture there is uh, of physical exercise, but, but there are obvious parallels here to the exercises in godliness or spiritual exercises in our own lives. We've already mentioned diet and nourishment. You need to be nourished and healthy if you're going to do this. Uh, nourish You've got to be healthy, uh, eat the right things for physical exercise, and you've got to be nourished in the Word of God for spiritual, for godliness. There's commitment and there's effort put into it. We put away anything that would handicap us or distractions. Um, we put in time and energy and focus. Um, keep on exercising is the idea behind it. And it's goal-oriented. The goal of that bodily exercise or physical exercise is performance, better performance and, and winning in competition. The spiritual goals that we should have in our lives uh, when we exercise ourselves in, in godliness is that we will have a strong, godly character and consistent conduct. Well, the ultimate goal, of course, is to hear 
that well done, a good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of your master. So there's small temporary, temporary gain from the physical exercise. It's limited, but godliness is profitable for all things. And, and here's a truth that many people don't realize that uh, godliness in their lives uh, ends up profiting in every endeavor that they're involved in. Um, and it, whether it be an intellectual, uh, right now we could throw in what? Political pursuits, a business, economic pursuits, all of those things, if you if if you focus first on spiritual discipline, then you will do well in those areas also. Paul in verse nine says, this is a trustworthy statement. It's one of five trustworthy statements found in first and second Timothy and Titus. It's a reliable word we can depend upon. And it refers to the fact that godliness has superior value to physical achievement, but also to any other thing, to any other um, pursuit that you might have. Godliness is more valuable, and godliness will uh, cause you to be able to excel in any endeavor that you're in. So godliness is our goal, but it's also a process that we go through. Um, it's a, it talks here about the fact that it, godliness has a promise with it. And uh, we'll talk more about that promise in, a, in another message. I think we're, I think I've gone long enough. I haven't nearly gotten to the end of my notes, but that's okay. We've gotten to the point where we're realizing that um, that the, the servant of God that we're talking about here, um, the servant of God is, is to put forth effort and energy in, in his in his service. The servant of the Lord will serve with a heart that's devoted, with a mind that is focused, with a life that is godly, with a faith that is growing, and with an ear that is longing to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word is living and powerful, and we pray that through your word you would impress upon our hearts ways in which we may need to change, press upon our hearts uh, the truths of your word and how they apply in different areas of our lives. We thank you that when we are confused by false teachings, by things that we don't understand, we can look to your word, which is truth, and we can remedy all of uh, our stray thoughts and, thing, and false information that is coming our way. We have an answer for that in your word, and we thank you that we can always go there. Thank you that your word is available to us. Thank you that we can use it. Uh, to our prophet.
and the profit of others as well. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.